Hello, you're listening to Abiding Life Studios. I'm Noah Wells, and today in the studio, I have Tracy Wolf, and he is from California. I also have Mike Yankee. He is from Colorado Springs, and Hello. I also have Lewis Wolf, and he is also from Colorado Springs. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. All right, and uh, Mike is going to uh, start us off. Well, today we have uh, Tracy Wolf with us from Modesto, California, and he's going to talk to us about uh, the, his ministry that he started in Uganda. Um, so, Tracy, go ahead and uh, kind of get us started here. Tell us, uh, maybe tell us how this all started. Okay. Well, I w- first I want to thank Noah and Mike and Almy for uh, having us here to do this podcast here today. Um, our Uganda ministry got started basically in 2004. Uh, but a little before that, we had a gentleman from our church at the time uh, in California who was over the eastern section of uh, Africa for the Gideon's ministry. And he was the one that made the initial contact for us to go into a little town called Kabali, Uganda, which is very much in the south of, U- of Uganda, very close to the Rwanda border. So that's how it started. And we started there in 2004 by helping them. Uh, this, them is the school that uh, he, uh, this man went to see. The director's name was Joab. And Joab had this project and wanted to know if we would be interested. So as a church, we agreed to go. So the first excursion over there was we sent um, a team of men over to check it out. Uh, They came back and reported to us that it was a worthwhile project. Then we organized in 2004 a youth activity uh, to Uganda. My wife and I and six or eight other chaperones took about 14 youth to Kabali, Uganda, and started physically building um, this chapel for the school there, which is called Kabali Trinity College. And it just grew from there, the ministry. So when you say we, who, who exactly was the we? That is this just you and your wife, or was this your, your church? You know, originally, it was our church. We've been Brethren Community okay. Fellowship from Modesto, California. They were the ones who sponsored and organized the first trip, and we were along as uh, chaperones and also to give some uh, teaching at the school and some preaching. So did you have, I mean, why Uganda? Why did you, I mean, how, what, uh, we, I've talked to you many times about Uganda, and what, what drew you to South Africa to begin with? Well, it's East Africa. East Africa, okay. <laughs> but what, what drew us there, we have to believe, was just the Lord. The opportunity that opened up for us there to share the message that we all love so much uh, that are affiliated with uh, Abiding Life Ministries here, the opportunity and the doors were open there for us to go and to teach and to preach it. And that's what drew us there. Uh, we fell in love with the people very quickly. Uh, we like to say East Africa will get in your blood. Uh, once you go, uh, it, it's you want to go back. It's they're very friendly people. They're very respectful, and many, many of them love the Lord. So it was an opportunity to take the message uh, personally for Mary and I, my wife and I, to a new place, and and to you know share what we knew and what we loved about Christ and the Exchange Life message to those folks over there. So maybe you could share with us uh, some of the challenges that you faced going to uh, Uganda. I mean, that seems like a long way away from Colorado. And uh, 
I'm sure you ran into a lot of different challenges that uh, I can't even imagine. Well, you know, surprisingly, there are a few, but none that really come to mind as being, you know, stuff that you couldn't surmount. Like, you have to get a visa. you got to just plan ahead and make sure you get all your ducks in a row before you go on that kind of a trip. Uh, it is a bit difficult taking 17 youth to McDonald's, uh, let alone to Uganda. Right. So, so there were some challenges in that regard. We had to have a count-off system so we didn't lose anybody. Uh, our youth person at the time, a guy named Ben, was really good at getting that all organized for us. And so we had procedure down about when you get on the bus, you did certain things, and so we knew everybody was there. But uh, actually, as far as just the actual going and doing of it, it really wasn't that difficult. Once the youth got busy and they raised their own funding to go, they sold fireworks, actually, one year, and raised enough safe and sane fireworks, by the way. Of course. Yes, raised enough money uh, for them to go. And Lewis was, at, was actually involved with that. He helped a lot with that at, at that time in 2004. And how old were you at that time, Lewis? I was 24. Okay, so you were so, still pretty young. Yeah, so my wife and I and some of the other um, leaders from the youth ministry were able to go and, you know, be, be with the uh, youth as we were raising money, and I think I still hear the generator running from that fireworks stand in the back of my head sometimes. But, uh, yeah, it was it was great to be able to go over there and see what, you know, see people living in a different part of the world who, you know, um, live differently. They, under, they understand things differently, but yet the God we serve is all the same. So, so Tracy, could you describe what the spiritual situation for lack of a better word is over in uganda or what did you find when you went there we found a lot of people who love the lord uh, there are many churches the, the catholic church is big there the church of uganda which is the anglican church is big there then they have what they call born agains and those are anybody who's not one of the others it's mm -hmm. there's a whole big flow of other churches there that are not Catholic and are not Anglican, and those folks are considered born-agains in local language. What they, that's how they uh, address them, and there are a lot of them, and they're, they're just on, on fire, and yet we find that there's been a lot of evangelism there in Uganda, as well as all over Africa, and praise the Lord for it. Uh, we're really grateful that that's true, but we've also noticed that there's not a lot of teaching. Uh, they come and they they evangelize and then they go and there's nobody or I shouldn't say nobody but there are a few going back to actually teach the Bible to teach the life to teach the way and the truth mm. that and that's what we've sort of Mary and I we've sort of feel like that's the call the Lord has upon our life is to go there and to instruct them in the Word to take them deeper into who they are in Christ, who he is in them, what that means for them, how they can live their life with that knowledge. In other words, like Mike used to say, you know, putting people in touch with the Christ they already have. Hmm. And, and that's that's why we go. That's what keeps us going back is that opportunity. We've seen growth. A lot of the students who were at the school in 2004 are now grown, as you might imagine, and they have businesses. Uh, one in particular is a minister that we're working with very closely, and um, they've, they're really just they're excited to hear folks come in and take the Bible and just preach right through it. They don't get a lot of verse-by-verse -verse teaching and preaching. They get a couple of verses and a lot of emotion, 
And when you go and you take them verse by verse and support your, your points with Scripture, that they really like that. So it's just an opportunity for us to continue with uh, the ministry of sharing the Word. We often say that it's the gospel that takes us to Uganda. Mm. And, and, and the real the real burden that we have, uh, we can sort of use the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 19, where he says that uh, he's laboring until Christ is formed in you. And, and that's our desire. We want to see that happen, not only for the people in Uganda, but for all the people we have the privilege and opportunity to minister to, is to, is to bring that fact, the fact that they have Christ in their life, but many of them have maybe don't know how to get in touch, don't know what that means. Uh, and so they're, they're still, you know, not satisfied with what they have. Sure. And, and so that the whole thing about seeing Christ formed in them, taking them deeper in the Word, and the opportunity that we have there to do that freely. Yeah, and that's, I think that's what we're all called to do, and I think it's really cool that you uh, have heart for, for the Ugandan people and for the Christians over there to dedicate yourselves to discipling them. That's, uh, that's really cool. Let me give you a little more of a timeline. Then that was the 2004 trip. And then uh, to my surprise in 2005, the director, a man named Joab, uh, he's still the director there. Uh, he hasn't got a lot of help by now, but he's still the director. Uh, he got a hold of me in 2005 and said, hey, we would like for you to come back and dedicate the chapel. It's done. Well, I had no intention of going back to Uganda in 2005. But the Lord provided for us to go, and uh, we went. I went with five other men. Four, excuse me, four other men, and we finished hanging the doors. They had everything completed except the doors. And if you've ever done any door work, it's, it's a bit tricky. Yeah. Uh, right. Particularly when you have uh, really hard wood that's not square. And <laughs> yeah. Try and make that. And there were 10 double doors along this. They, wow. they, they built it so it would be open air and they could put a lot of people outside. So the five of us went back and finished the doors. And while we were there, we dedicated it, which the, that service was on Palm Sunday. And uh, an incredible, there's a whole story about that when the power went down. We finally found, a, that was when you were there, that we found an inverter when Lewis was with us to actually make the power work. And God was in every little thing. You know, something would go wrong, and he would fix it for us. It took us one day, one full day, to put up the first set of doors. We finished the others in like a day and a half, two days. Oh, wow. we're totally done. Huh. So then we had this big service where we marched from, from the old campus of the school to where this new campus was. We marched right through town with the marching band and took two routes, and town people were out. It was just really exciting in 2005 to go and, and to dedicate that chapel. So then after that, we took about a three-year hiatus and didn't go back until 2008. That's in, since that time, we've gone almost every year, every 14 months or so on an average, we're, we're back. And, yeah, um, that's what I was going to ask is, do you go twice a year or just once a year? or Usually just once a year. Okay. This past year we made two trips because we had helped finish a chapel for the, for a church there we, we're working with now. And that's the thing. The school ministry has kind of taken a back seat now to the we're involved really heavily with, a little, with the local, local church, which is called King's Resurrection Center. But before I get too far away from the school, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I'd like to share a little bit about Joab and his family and and what they do and did and a couple stories about some of the things that we have encountered uh just going there uh joab's family were they were in agriculture they raised matoke matoke is banana 
Hmm. But it's a green banana. You can think like a plantain, but it's not really a plantain. It's matoki. And it's a staple for them, and they really they really love it. I mean, we don't have those here at mm, all. You might be able to find them in some African market somewhere, but not in general. Okay. No. So his family, that's what they did for a living. They raised Matoki, and they were his family was Anglican, and they were having a big event at the local church in their village there. And a lot of the family, a lot of the dads were taking a little bit of their matoki and supplying it for the meal. And they were going to cook. They, they cook this stuff. It looks kind of like mashed potatoes, mm. but it doesn't taste like mashed potatoes. <laughs> and they love it. So they were all taking a couple of bunches. Well, Joab's dad had a whole harvest ready to go, ready for the market. And he told Joab and his brothers, no, you take it all to the church. We're not going to sell any of it. We're going to give mm. it all to the church. Well, they were thinking, come on, Dad. Maybe not the best idea, you know. Yeah. We're not going to have anything to sell. So, but they went ahead and did it. And later in the year, uh, there was a big windstorm came through and blew most of the neighbors' banana plantations down. But Jeb's family was untouched. Oh, wow. <laughs> so just things like that. You know, that that's not uncommon for them to be, have that kind of a heart. Yeah. Um, and then, um, oh, I don't know. We've had different encounters there, you know, everything from being stuck in the mud. We were up way up in the village, and I was helping push the pastor's car out trying to get back to town. He's in the car driving. It got loose, and I was just plastered head to foot <laughs> with mud. That just, you know, that stuff just happens. And then um, we were there one year, uh, and it was raining very hard in the chapel. And we walked through the chapel, and my wife slipped, and she fell on against a bench, and she— she hurt herself really bad. I thought she punctured a lung. Oh, I thought she was going to die, actually, in my arms there for a couple of minutes. Turns out she didn't really puncture a lung, but she broke four ribs. Oh. And we didn't find out about that till we got back to the U.S., so she Man. was in pain almost the whole trip. Uh, we wrapped her up with an ace bandage and kept going. She never missed a lick, wow. but she was in tremendous pain the whole trip, so she's a trooper. Uh, but that also goes to show you how much she loves Africa. She mm-hmm. she won't let me go by myself, hardly. She 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 wants to go along every time, which is great. I love having her. Yeah. And then um, um, one more thing on me as far as you know, learning. You know how we like to say that if you're going to preach this message, the Lord is going to make sure you learn how to live it. Or at yeah. least He's going to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll bring things into your life that yeah. make you really. Go okay. I know better, but <clears throat> so for the moment you're you're walking in the flesh. You're upset, whatever the case might be. In 2011, this Ben, who was our leader for the youth that year, was actually in a wedding for a very close friend over there in Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda. So we were there, and we picked him up in Kigali, Rwanda, and we all went to the wedding. To make a long story short, Ben and the groom. And the, the bride and my wife all took off to town. They, for, they were going to be gone to town for a couple hours shopping and getting last preparations made for the mm-hmm. wedding the next day. So I said, fine. And I was at the hotel at McCurry University in Kampala, a uh, little guest house, having a good time. I started looking at my watch, and they'd been gone three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, seven hours, oh. eight hours. And I'm getting a little bit hot under the collar because they were supposed to come back and get me and they didn't and now my wife's in this big city in Uganda and I have no idea where she's at or what's going on and by the time they got back uh, I just have to be real real with you I was not happy I was pretty upset yeah and I didn't mind letting them know (laughs) Uh, probably too much 
Well, then after after I blew on everybody that was around that was involved with it, yeah. then the Lord got a hold of me that night, and my wife said, "You know, you can't you can't let that stand." So I had an opportunity then to go back and talk to each one of those people the next day, mm-hmm. including like the guy that was the head of the church because he was he heard part of it. Yeah. And tell them, you know, that I was just really out to lunch. And I, I, I was, you know, I was trying to, you know, save my life, right? Yeah. R- rather than lose it uh-huh. for the benefit of those around me. Right. And I got a really good lesson out of that. And uh, I hope you never have to experience it. But oh, I think I, we all have to. <laughs> I, think we, I think we all have. Yeah. What's the main language out there? It's it actually an English-speaking co- country. Oh, okay. yep. They're a former British colony. They got their independence in 1962, I believe. Okay. And so the English is taught in the school. Huh. If you go to school, they know English. Up in the villages where they don't have an opportunity to go to school, and many don't, they speak whatever tribal language they have. There are a number of them, somewhere between 6 and 12 different uh, local languages. The one that's close there to where we're at is called Rachiga. And the tribe is called Bachiga. Mm. So, um, and that's in southwestern Uganda, real close to the uh, Rwanda border. Okay. So, how big is the town or little village that you visit all the time? Kabali is probably between, I want to say, 15 and 20,000. Oh, wow. It's a decent little yeah, size that's town. A good size town. Yeah, yeah. They have, you know, about what you need. It's not like we're roughing it. You know, we stay in a decent hotel and we have decent food. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we uh, we get along really well. Um, Tracy, could you uh, is there? Do you have any stories about um, anybody over there that their life has been? They have a testimony about their life being transformed by the revelation of Christ in them. Um, yes, sorta. I, I, I'm I'm acquainted really closely with the with the gentleman in in Rwanda, uh, which is close there. Uh, he he was a survivor of the 1994 genocide. In Rwanda, and um, he was um, he was a member of the Tutsi tribe. His wife was a Hutu, so they had to separate during the during the genocide, and you know couldn't see one another. There were threats all over the place. He was number ten on the list of his little community to be taken out, and he somehow God miraculously survived. You know, let him survive all of that, and. Um, one of the neatest things that I've seen over there, and I'm just going to be close to what you're asking, I think, is uh, we were able to help him plant a little plantation of coffee, and I say little, like three acres mm-hmm. of coffee, in a very beautiful hillside close to Gitarama, Rwanda. And that was his property that he had owned, and I finally talked to him to take me out there. He didn't want to. It was very emotional because that's where all that stuff happened to his family. Got out there, and I saw the property, and I said, what can we do, Charles? Let's plant some coffee. So we did. And so they came up and started producing, and we had to get some workers, and we're all, we used that for an outreach to the community because we get these workers to come in and hoe and pick and whatever they were doing and, you know, pray for them and give them a little scripture lesson, whatever. I know I didn't do much of that. I was here in the States, but uh, Charles did, and the gal helped us out over there. So uh, I was over there one time uh, a couple years ago, and he had a gentleman working in the field, uh, he pointed him out to me. He said, that gentleman right there was one of the genocide heirs. He was the one that had taken part in the killing. Mm. And uh, here uh, Charles had him working for us in the in the coffee plantation. And more than that, the man had an outstanding medical bill from a hospital where he had broken his hip 
and had surgery and what have you, and he had an outstanding balance. He couldn't clear with him, clear with the hospital, and uh, Charles, who was Tutsi, and this gentleman who was involved in doing the killing, uh, Charles paid the man's bill off. Oh, wow. Uh, just just cleaned it off for him, and I'm thinking mm. if there's ever a picture of God's grace and forgiveness, yeah. I have a picture of uh, those two men and the man's wife wow. standing there, uh, right, real close to the to the plantation, and I was just pinching myself, thinking uh, because they struggle like you, you know, like you can probably imagine, oh, yeah. you know, they struggle with thinking that you know there's still people there who would just see you not be around. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. So, moving on just a little bit. Um, so the school ministry has kind of taken a back seat to this little church called King's Resurrection Center. And Pastor Wilbur, who is the main lead pastor there, was a school boy. He was in high school when we built the chapel. Huh. So we've watched him grow to the point where he eventually went to Calvary Chapel's Bible School in Kampala, came back to the little town we're talking about and started a church like eight or nine years ago. So we've been involved with him for most of that time. And, uh, you know, we're watching them grow. He's really latched onto the message. Uh, He really appreciates the way we, the way we preach. The first couple of times he told me that, he says, brother, I like the way you handle the Bible. And I thought, what are you talking about? The way I hold it or the way I put it on the lectern or what do you mean? He said, no, it's the way you take it and you, you just go right through it. You know, you take a verse and talk about it. Uh-huh. And they're, they're so appreciative of that. So we're seeing him and his guys now, his men, adopting that same thing. And they're, they're, I think they're very unique in the area. They're, they're, they have something there, I like to believe, that some of the other folks are missing or don't have it yet. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're hoping that you know, he can be a force there in the community for this message that we so much love here. Yeah, that's cool. It, it, is there a lot of them that can't read or...? Um, there again, if you've been to school, uh-huh. you know, there's some, there's a, there's a mixed crew out there every time. Yeah. Uh, so they do, you know, he will translate some, uh, but I'm preaching. He will translate because a lot of the folks there don't, you know, haven't been educated, haven't been to school. Yeah. So, and then there are some who, you know, are obviously getting it and he kind of knows who they are. So he's, he actually has a couple of services. He'll have an English service. Then he'll have a Rachiga service. Oh, okay. So, and then, but i as far as I'm concerned, I can't tell a difference. I mean, they all, they're, they're all there at both services, <laughs> for oh, that matter. Okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, so he's doing well, and, um, you know, the needs are ongoing. Uh, he has small children. Um, rent comes due every month. And uh, so, yeah, they're, uh, they struggle for finances like most third-world countries do. I don't know where Uganda would fall on the poorest country in the world, but it's probably in the top five or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what else can they grow down there to... They do grow a lot of crops. They have uh, they grow very nice cabbage, oh, okay. and they grow uh, Irish potatoes. They call them Irish potatoes. Uh-huh. And they they love their Irish, and they have a lot of that. Uh, they have uh, chickens and eggs, and pineapple is to die for. Uh-huh. It's the uh-huh. best pineapple I've ever eaten. That so sounds good. Yeah, it's really good, and it's very cheap there. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, so they they one thing they do have an advantage over some places where there's so much famine is they do have a uh, very long, almost a 12-month growing season. They're just like two hours south of the equator. Okay. And they're like 6,500 feet. So they have really good crops and good soil. and So they can raise enough on their own little plot to survive for the most part. Oh, that's good. Hmm. So the little village or whatever that you usually go and preach at, 
how much have you been a part of like building the school or building the church and I don't know what else is there. I'm just trying to have a picture in my head of what Yeah, well they have there. They have about everything they need except finances. Oh, okay. They have material, uh, they have manpower. Uh-huh. Uh they're pretty good about figuring stuff out. Yep. Now it wouldn't be made to code here in the US. Their buildings mm-hmm. would not pass code here. Right. But they don't have to worry with that. You know, they use eucalyptus poles and they use tin sheets and they build a church. Huh. And or whatever they're doing. So yeah, so they have men and material, and what they lack is funding. Oh, okay. So so if you can supply the funds, they can do the work. So that's been the, you know, I yeah, I've when we were there, I pounded a few nails, and particularly in 2004, we all helped. Yeah. At that time, carrying bricks and help, you know, nailing stuff up. But anymore, uh, yeah, it's just long distance for me. We we just make sure that they have what they need to do it, and then they'll get it done. And uh, the little things like uh, a weed eater, you know, if you if you if they have a weed eater, they can go do what they call compound cleaning, and they can charge so much for cleaning some guy's compound, you know, whacking the weeds down. Oh, okay. So we've kind of got that going as a little bit of a source of income for these yeah, for good. a couple of these men. Hmm. But they're very industrious, you know. They're not afraid to work. Yeah. But but. Having something to do, yeah. To I do say it. most of them. There are those who, you know, let their wives do all the work, but right. but uh, most of the guys are not not afraid to go out and work. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's good to know because yeah, when uh, my dad gave a lot of money to get a, I think a school built in Liberia. So when we went out there to go check it out, we finally got out there and we get to a field, and all that was there was one cinder block. Oh my! Yeah, the money was just gone. Everything <laughs> yeah. was just gone. So it's good to know that those guys. Yeah, no, do, they they do it. They've been very conscientious with with what we've have sent through the years. Not just Mary and I, but with through the church as well. In years gone by, uh, it's all been accounted for, and it went for the purpose it was sent for. Yeah. That's so good. and there's evidence you can go see it. Yeah, that's nice. So do you have a person that you stay in contact with over over there all the time or pretty regularly? Yes, I'm. Pretty much in constant, well, not constant, but on a probably a weekly basis, a couple times a week with this Wilbur, Pastor Wilbur. He and I stay in close communication. I actually record about a two or three minute little message for him every week and send it over on on WhatsApp, okay. and he plays that for the for the folks just to say hi, how you doing, and oh, that's cool. a little scripture. Yeah, that's a weekly deal. Cool. Well, got anything else to add? Um, we just, you know, it's just been part of our life. We love going, uh, trying to talk Mike into coming with me sometime here, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, or you, Noah, anybody. I'd like love to get Lewis and our other children back over there at some point. But um, no, it's just it's one of those things that we feel the Lord's placed that call upon our life to go into, you know, bring those people on the Lord. You know, just grow them up in Christ. And then along while you're doing that, you're obviously going to reach out to new converts. We've had several folks come in. A couple of years ago, I was doing the I was doing the the graph on journey to the end of self up on a board, and had a guy stand up right in the middle of the service and decide he wanted to serve the walk with Jesus. Oh, that's cool. You know, something that you weren't even thinking about. Yeah. Wasn't even the time for that, if you will. Uh-huh. But the spirit moved him, and he heard everything I'd talked about till then, like a day or two before that, and it was just the right time. And I'm, he, he stopped my pro, my program <laughs> to tell me he wanted to serve the Lord, and I said, "Amen." Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So uh, occasionally those things are are really fun, and we we've had moments where, 
you know, you just kind of got to pinch yourself. And we've actually seen some folks um, uh, who have uh, been walking with the Muslims who have come oh, wow. and start attending. And uh, I've actually baptized a couple of them in the last year. Oh, wow. So, That's cool. Uh, yeah. So, so it's, it's, you know, whatever the Lord's got going there, uh, we're just, we just want to join it yeah. and, and help it move forward. And that's why we go. So I guess I have a question for you is what what kind of projects need to be done right now there? And I guess I have two questions. That's one of them. I'll ask you the other. OK, one. I'll, I'll go ahead. And, do you want to go and ask? Well, yeah, the answer that one? yeah, there are there are two pri- primarily. There were, there were three. We took care of one of them. There are two more. There was no power. Since we've left, and we were there in June, we left in June. Since then, they have power now to the building. So they have electric lights inside, which is great. Okay. What's that, solar or No, wind? it's hardwired. Oh, it's hardwired. Yeah. Okay. Cool. They, may, they may go with the solar at some point, but right now it's just it's, you know, they have like three light bulbs in the yeah. church. So it's not using yeah. much power. Yeah. And then the, there are two needs. One is a PA system. They don't have a PA. And, okay. and if you've ever been to a third world country, that's how they let you know that they're there, is they turn the PA on and crank it to the highest it'll go, and they start singing. Or they start preaching, and the people in the, in the community hear, and, mm. uh, and so they come. So they, need, they want a PA, and, and they would like to have <coughs> a floor. That's right now, it's a dirt floor. Oh, okay. So those are the two. If I were to name two things that, you know, they need. Right away, yeah. Well, I'm, you know. They're getting by, and they'll yeah. get by for as long as they need to. But, yeah, those are the two that are sort of pressing. Okay, and then my other question was, all the building that you've done there so far, how how have you done it? How have you been able to give them the money and stuff? Do you, What do you do right now for work? Do you, do you send the money over from, from that, from your job that you do here in America? Yes. Okay. Uh, Mary and I are pretty much self-financed. We don't have anybody sending us like a mission board or uh-huh. a particular church. Uh, in the past, I mean, I think maybe one time somebody covered our airfare. Okay. And other than that, you know, we've been totally on our own for that and for our lodging and for whatever we've helped contribute. And by the way, let me say quickly, it's not a huge amount of money because you'd be surprised what you can do for $1,000 there. Oh, yeah. I yeah, because, yeah, you know, it's just stuff is cheaper and um, – the labor's cheaper and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not, you know, when we say, well, we help provide the material for the church, it's not like it was a million-dollar church. It was, you know, less than 5000 in that neighborhood. Right. So, so yeah, we've been able to, through, I'm an almond grower, almond grower, for those of you in California. Uh, we raise almonds, and that's how we make our living. And okay. uh, through that, uh, we've been able to um, keep it going. Wow. Um, yeah, so you're just using your own buck to... Pretty, them out. pretty much, but this all belongs to the Lord anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all his money. And, and if he nudges me hard enough, you know, he's got to <laughs> nudge me pretty hard sometimes. <laughs> like for the building, I didn't. I was really dragging my feet on the, finishing the church building because I just wasn't ready to do it. I wanted to see how what they could do on their own. I'm really trying to get them to work with their hands and mm-hmm. to provide their own for their own means. Yeah, yeah. and they're, that's starting to happen, but it's very slow. Mm-hmm. And consequently, nothing happens quickly. Yeah. So they're, like I told you a while ago, at lunch, the town council was really on the little fellowship there to finish this building or they were going to shut them down. And they actually came and confiscated their cool tools one day, so they had to quit working. So when, that, when the town council got involved and they started taking their tools away from them, that was about enough to get through my thick skull that we needed to finish this thing. Right. So, uh, 
so we were able to provide the financing for that, and in two months they had it done. Oh wow! Maybe three. Okay. So that's the, that's the reason we went back this past June is to see it and to dedicate it for them. So the, what's lacking now is pretty much a floor, a floor and, and PA. a PA system. Okay. And uh, uh, you'd be surprised here we don't think of it the same way they do. Uh-huh. I mean, we'll meet under an oak tree, you know, right. if we need to for three or four years and not be too worried about it. I mean, nice to have a building, but mm-hmm. well, there it's not that way. It, to them, it's credibility. If mm-hmm. if they if now when people walk by now and see a church building, ah, that you know these people are for real. Give you an example. He preaches on the radio regularly. He's mm-hmm. got like a spot on the radio maybe twice a day, and you know just free airtime. The guy just lets him do it, and uh, and uh, he uh, people would come by and say, well, where did, where's your church? And he'd tell them where it was at, and they walk by and say. That's your church? Wow, we can't go there because there wasn't much there. Okay. So the building, the physical building, gave them credence in the community, which I was not seeing that part of it at all. Yeah, that's a whole different way to look at it, isn't it? Yeah. Can you kind of – I know we're going to do some more podcasts about your vision, but can you give us just a real brief brief synopsis of – what your vision is for for Uganda? I, I know you have it laid out, and we're going to do a bunch of podcasts on that specifically. But can you give us like a brief overview of what's coming up? Well, I can try. Um, yes, it's it's important for me to to sort of keep the ship going in the right direction, and 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 they're they're doing really good at that. But but what you find there, and uh, God bless them, they're all great men and, and good people. But you'll find a lot of messages in some of those really um, Pentecostal, for instance, uh, born-again churches, that um, they'll take a verse or two, and then they'll, you know, they'll sing them happy, they'll get real emotional, and they'll just spend two or three hours just on one or two verses. And sometimes they slip into the prosperity stuff, not often, but occasionally they will. And they kind of get, you know, a little bit off of, the real thing about focusing on Christ and keeping Him in the center of the whole thing. Mm. So our view is is to 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 refocus them if they need to be refocused, or to keep their focus on Jesus if that's where they're at, and not let them get sidetracked uh, on some of these other things that churches get sidetracked on. We talked about yeah. some of it a while ago. You know, they'll they'll get they'll start mixing up the covenants or whatever, and they'll and 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 keep it to keep them straight. So we just came up with a real simple vision. It's just Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, and each one of those letters has a scripture and something that goes with it that starts with that or a thought that goes with that letter. And so the vision that we have for King's Resurrection Center is simply Jesus. And then whatever comes from that is we're okay with. If you want to go dig somebody a ditch or take them a meal or, or, or organize a youth program or whatever it might be, that's all fine, but it comes under the thing that we're focused here, and we want to remain focused on Jesus. And I think if you look through the Scripture, you'll see Christ himself doing that. He tries to bring their focus back to him because they've gotten off onto something else, yep. right? And he'll ask them a question or he'll do something, and it makes no sense to them at the time, I mean, the disciple particularly. But what he's doing is he's trying to refocus them back on what the main thing is here. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, yeah, we, we're, that's what we try to do there is to make sure that they don't wander into something that's... Um, Rule-based or... Yeah, or, or maybe it's not wrong, yeah. but it, it's, not, it's not 
it's really centered and focused on the Lord and his yeah. life and their life and him. Relationship with him. Yes, yes, and what that means and, yeah. and how they can, how they can uh, share that with others. I've been thinking a lot lately, and I should develop it more, about this idea of um, resting. And when we rest in Christ... And then, and then once that's true of us, we have the opportunity to reveal what we know. So the whole idea of rest and reveal, I think there's something there yeah. that if we, if we can get apart a little bit and just like, you know, settle in, settle mm-hmm. down and get all the junk that's going on, get, get out of our soul and spirit and then rest in the Lord and see what he'll say to you, see what he'll give you. Mm-hmm. And then you have the opportunity and even the responsibility to, to share that, to reveal it. So I'm working on that in my own heart and mind about how, how can I develop this idea of rest and reveal because I think there's something there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I'm I'm reminded of the story of the the when Jesus uh, was walking on the water in the storm towards the disciples and Peter asked them, you know, if that's you, Lord, you know, call me to you. And as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord. He was able to walk on water, which is, you know, we want to get into that. But, uh, <laughs> but as soon as he saw the wind, and, and, and I was thinking, well, how do you see the wind? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, he saw something that he, he, it's not, I mean, wind is something that's real, but it's, it's not something that's as stable and as pure and as real as Jesus Christ standing there and has called you to walk out on the water. But as soon as he took his eyes off Christ and started looking at the wind, that's when he started to sink. Yep. And then, Amen. and then when they Jesus snatched him up and took him back into the boat and the wa- and the and it was calm. So I think that might have like a little start for your your rest and reveal because as soon as he got in the boat with him and rested, the the storm was calmed, and he was able to be at peace. Exactly. So you know you you never know when the the Lord's gonna set you in a, in a hotel for eight or ten hours with nobody around. You think they've forgotten you? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know I got really exercised. But what it did the next day, actually later that same day, I, I got a big refocus. Mm. You know I was just not right. I mean I was yeah. way out of line. <laughs> yeah, and that wouldn't have happened if they would have just came and got you. After exactly. Two or three it was all hours. their fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise God. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, all that about your ministry. That's uh, that's cool. And thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks Noah. for being oh, here. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah.